I'm uh, actually measuring uh, certain biomarkers. First thing that I found was actually uh, by accident, iron deficiency. Aging is an evil spirit, an opportunity to decide for themselves and uh, to pick their own future. Hi, I'm Greg Mustreader, and this is my podcast on rationality, transhumanism, biohacking, and trends of development in society. Today, here with me is Yelena Milova, a board member at the Life Extension Advocacy Foundation, Lifespan.io. Hi, Yelena. Thanks for joining. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, let's start off uh, with discussing what exactly is it that you guys do, because many people would say... Uh, why do you need an advocacy foundation for something that is that is everywhere today? All companies invest in biotech. Uh, many companies invest in longevity. Even like Facebook and uh, Google uh, have invested uh, vast sums of money. Mm. Well, Lifespan.io uh, exists to raise funds and awareness for uh, research on the main mechanisms of aging aimed at uh, uh, bringing under medical control all the uh, age-related diseases. So basically, uh, there are several ways how you can tackle the problem of age-related diseases. You can uh, deal with the effects downstream, which means you can deal with the symptoms of these diseases when they are already developed, or you can try to investigate what are the root causes of aging and then by focusing your uh, attention on those mechanisms you can actually develop treatments that will be intercepting the process of aging slowing it down and uh, this way you can actually extend the healthy human lifespan so this is actually our mission we want to uh, uh, extend healthy human lifespan so everyone could enjoy a longer and healthier life without age-related diseases yeah, I fully support this idea, but my question is uh, uh, if the, uh, there really is a need to advocate for this area, uh, because some people would say it's obvious that this is necessary and companies are already investing money in these spheres, uh, what, what, should, what else should be done? Uh, well, isn't there enough being done at the moment? Okay, I see. Uh, well, uh, it turns out that if you look at uh, the experience of, for instance, uh, cancer research organizations or cancer patient organizations, they have done an amazing job promoting this and raising public awareness before these uh, very important topics started to get funded, properly funded. And uh, in fact, the, the uh, multiple treatments for cancer that you can see now is a result of this very important work. But uh, when it comes to aging research, all this topic is relatively new. Uh, one can say that somewhat a scientific consensus regarding the root causes of aging started to manifest itself around uh, the year 2000 or so. And uh, it means that uh, not many people understand that aging is a modifiable risk factor. Not many people understand that you can actually target the root mechanisms of aging. And this way uh, you can actually prevent the development of age-related diseases. So this topic is new. And as with any kind of new topic, you really need a lot of advocacy effort behind it before uh, the public and the government understands the benefits of uh, um, investing into, into this field. So uh, it started around 20 years ago, and a lot of effort has been invested by uh, Aubrey de Grey, as you already know, uh, the leader of the Sense Research Foundation, the biggest organization 
population in our field that is uh, an active proponent of this uh, rejuvenation approach. Uh, and uh, since then, uh, the, the amount of information in this field started to grow, but it's still not nearly enough uh, compared to the importance of the problem of age-related diseases. Um, just uh, to share with you a few numbers, uh, in 2013, uh, one of the surveys, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was done by Pew Research Foundation, uh, shows that uh, there are around 7% of people who say that they know a lot about uh, the possibility to modify human aging. Uh, around uh, 40 or 50% of people say that they know a little bit about it. Uh, and the rest knew literally nothing. If you compare it to the level of awareness typical for cancer research and cancer advocacy, you will get something like 90% of people are completely on board with the idea that it's important and money should be invested and the government should support it and the treatments should be available to everyone and it should be affordable for people and so on. So as you see, there is a lot uh, still to do uh, to raise public awareness in this field and that's why we at Lifespan.io actually are doing it. As you probably know, we are one of the uh, news outlets focused completely on the topic of aging and longevity. Uh, and uh, uh, I hope that we will be able to make an impact in this very important field. Everyone who is interested to learn about uh, uh, the recent breakthroughs in the field of longevity are welcome to come to lifespan.io slash news and just basically read uh, about every breakthrough, every, every major news um, from this field. Yeah, and uh, I should say that you already have uh, made uh, quite a lot of impact. So thanks for what you're doing. Uh, the organization is really great and the website as well. I will give uh, the link to it in the video description uh, on YouTube and in the description of this podcast on other platforms. Uh, and as for the breakthroughs, yeah, recent times uh, show that uh, uh, gradually they start they start appearing like like this news about young uh, plasma transfusion that you definitely have heard of uh, this preprint pre I guess it was uh, showing some really significant results for prolonging the lifespan of mice was it yes recently uh, so uh, yes uh, it, it's good that that now the there are new breakthroughs uh, quite often so that you can have a whole website dedicated to them. Uh, but I wanted to learn more about what exactly uh, your daily activity consists of and what uh, the daily activities of your organization consists of. What exactly do you do? Do you speak to some uh, business people uh, and uh, um, make them invest in this area? Do you speak to just ordinary people? Well, we are doing everything, literally everything you can think of uh, in order to promote this uh, idea that we can actually address aging itself and by doing so we can um, modify the situation with the age-related diseases in the world. Uh, well, as I, I have already mentioned, we are writing a lot of news, we are doing interviews with the researchers to um, make public, the public more familiar with uh, what's going on on the front line. Uh, we're all, of course, we're trying to uh, involve more people who are able to support uh, biotechnology startups in this field. Uh, we are hosting pitch sessions, uh, helping them to, to basically meet um, 
and also we use it, of course, to uh, educate the people from the investment industry who are looking at the opportunity uh, of entering this field. Actually, a great help in this regard was uh, um, done by uh, Jim Mellon, who is one of the guru in the investment, especially investment in the biotechnologies, and who has written a book, uh, Juvenescence, not long ago, and started a, a, a fund with a similar name. Because of his authority, uh, it looks like the investment community really started to, get, to understand that this is something serious. Uh, something serious happens here, and uh, these uh, uh, biotechnology companies that are being uh, founded actually represent a great opportunity for them, uh, not just to uh, help people deal with the age related diseases, but also, of course, uh, to have a wonderful revenue in the nearest future. If to say about the uh, horizon, when exactly this can uh, become a, a major source of, uh, well, let's put it this way, uh, using the words of Jim Mellon, a new money fountain. <laughs> it can become a new money fountain in the nearest uh, time, I mean, on a horizon of five to 10 years, because right now there are many uh, therapies that are already in human clinical trials. So it's not just uh, about the mice or some sort of, you know, uh, theoretical experiments or mind experiments. Uh, we are at the moment, the time when we are starting to go from fundamental studies to actually running human clinical trials. And actually, if you go to uh, lifespan.io slash roadmap, you can find a rejuvenation roadmap where we list the most interesting uh, biotechnology projects in this field and you can track at what stage of clinical trials or preclinical trials there currently are. And uh, as you uh, can see uh, on this map, uh, there are many, many entries and uh, some of them are in human clinical trials. For instance, the, uh, the companies that are currently working on Senolytics. Senolytics are probably the best known um, uh, treatments with uh, rejuvenation component. Uh, what they do is basically during uh, our life course, we accumulate a lot of old cells in our bodies. Those cells are somewhat harmful to the body, though they, they have some uh, positive functions as well, but mostly they are harmful. And uh, uh, it turns out that if you remove those cells from the body, uh, the animals are uh, living longer in good health. And also in old animals, whenever these treatments are applied, it reverses some of the uh, aspects of aging, which looks really, really promising. So that means not only aging can be slowed down, but also it can be reversed. So uh, there are many projects uh, developing senolytic treatments that are listed on, the, on our roadmap. Uh, and also th there are many other therapies that are actually look very promising and I really hope that uh, human clinical trials will be successful. Uh, you mentioned turning this industry into a gold fountain. But, money uh, fountain, as far yes. as <laughs> Money fountain, yeah. But the problem is that, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, all those projects uh, take uh, a very long time to complete. Uh, and that uh, puts off some investors who want to uh, be sure that they can make money in the foreseeable future uh, and not on the horizon of like 20 years because all those trials uh, until the implementation of those therapies may take really, really long. Uh, well, isn't that one of the most uh, important problems? of underfunding because of that? 
Uh, well, definitely it's one of the factors that is uh, uh, making things harder for uh, the investors. But on the other hand, it's not specific to our field. It's more like a general problem of any sort of uh, uh, medical interventions. Whatever drug you take, you actually will need to go through the process of clinical trials. And according to the studies, it takes around 15 years in total to go from uh, the very first idea and proof of concept to the moment when a new therapy or drug is actually registered and available to the public. <clears throat> so it's not specific to our field. One thing that is uh, um, that uh, the researchers are currently trying to do uh, to actually accelerate uh, the process of clinical trials is the development of the biomarkers of aging. Uh, well, the, the point is you can measure the effect of life extension treatment in, in many ways. Of course, the most direct way will be to use uh, death of the patients as an endpoint, which means you will give people some uh, treatment, wait for some time, measure what happens to their health, and then uh, you see uh, how much longer those people who received this therapy um, managed to live. And once uh, they die, you have a very clear data regarding the potential of a geroprotective treatment to extend life. That's one way. Another way uh, will be to develop um, a set of biomarkers, which means uh, some health parameters that can be measured in human body that would accurately predict how exactly this particular treatment is going to affect uh, a person's lifespan. Uh, that way you are using sort of a substitute for the uh, original endpoint, which will be the death of a person. Uh, but if, this, uh, if those markers are accurate enough, it's, it means that you basically can get a very accurate information even though you're not waiting for so long until people die. Uh, and so that means that uh, uh, a lot of clinical trials that uh, uh, we can see right now can be run uh, on a horizon of, uh, I don't know, maybe three, five years. So it doesn't really have to be that long. You don't really have to wait until all the patients of the experimental group die and only then you can get the data. No. Now you can actually do it much faster and uh, uh, this becomes less and less of a problem as we reach sort of a scientific consensus on what biomarkers can actually be good predictors of lifespan. Mm -hmm. uh, and what about the biomarkers? Which ones are the most important? And do you yourself track your own biomarkers? Well, as I'm not a researcher myself, I would rather refer this question to those who can uh, give you a qualified answer. But uh, on, on the side of a personal experience, I can tell you that I'm uh, actually measuring uh, certain biomarkers of my body. I'm doing it on a regular basis. I started in 2017. And a big thank you to the group Open Longevity run by Michael Batin and Anastasia Yegorova for developing uh, a, a diagnostic panel that will include the most promising, let's put it this way, biomarkers that can be predictors of uh, early stages of uh, age-related diseases. And so in some way, they can also predict uh, uh, your general lifespan. So what I'm measuring, well, you see, it's, it's a huge, huge uh, blood test that includes a lot of things. There are hormones, there are vitamins, uh, there are uh, there is lipid profile, of course. Uh, I'm also measuring the level of glucose and insulin in my blood. I'm measuring 
uh, glycated uh, uh, hemoglobin also because this uh, combination actually can give you a very accurate understanding of uh, how well you're eating are you eating too much of fast carbs or not um, what else? Uh, of course, there are uh, biomarkers that are measuring the level of inflammation. And all this actually serves one purpose. Uh, if you are trying to modify your uh, lifestyle, uh, you are technically doing it uh, in a blind mode, unless you are making regular tests. Uh, let me explain this way. If you have, say, an iron deficiency, it can look uh, as a feeling weak, uh, you know, anemic, uh, not uh, feeling that you are lacking uh, oxygen, uh, feeling that it's very difficult for you to engage in uh, some fitness and wellness activities, uh, and so Can you say that it comes specifically from iron? Can it be maybe a deficiency of magnesium? Can it be a deficiency of something else? Can it be that uh, you didn't get enough sleep and this is where this uh, feeling of weakness comes from? So in many cases, we cannot really say what's going on in the body because we cannot really, um, you know, define what what's the source of, of a problem. And that's where uh, the, the biomarkers become really, really useful on all those tests that I'm making because they can tell you what the problem is exactly. Uh, for instance, when I started to take uh, to, to take those tests, first thing that I found was actually uh, by accident iron deficiency and quite a, a huge one, and it was not addressed. And none of my uh, medical advisors uh, ever, uh, you know, tried to uh, link my feeling of weakness and so on and so forth with an iron deficiency. That's why I'm actually using it as an example. You cannot tell that it's iron. Um, then my inflammatory biomarkers were somewhat increased. And for uh, almost three years, I was trying to understand what's going on. And I ended up with understanding that it's completely provoked by uh, uh, taking milk and uh, eating other sorts of dairy products. In my so case, you have lactose uh, resistance, something uh, like that? I, Intolerance? Well, that's a tricky question. Uh, I took my genetic test some time ago, and I, as many other people, I have some form of lactose intolerance. But uh, you really, you really should consider it all individually, because uh, one person can be suffering from it, another person may notice nothing, and so on and so forth. But in my case, it looks like dairy products are not healthy at all which is why I uh, limited them quite significantly. And since then, my inflammation biomarkers went down. Uh, specific, more specifically, uh, I think that my um, uh, C-reactive protein was affected the most. So I, I managed to reduce uh, um, EL6 quite significantly by uh, dropping some of the fast carbs, but it didn't affect uh, CRP. And, and after I dropped eating dairy, it was affected quite significantly. So that's, again, just uh, to show you how important it is to track your biomarkers and do it on a regular basis, because this allows you to see uh, how exactly this or that change in your diet or lifestyle or the supplements that you are taking, how exactly all this affects your health. So basically, I'm trying to remove all deficiencies when they are still small. Uh, I'm just uh, taking some supplement, I don't know, for magnesium, for iron, for something else. 
uh, I'm changing my diet if I feel like. Of course, I'm trying to track the amount of calories that I'm eating because uh, with, oh, especially with the current lifestyle, because of the quarantine measures and so on, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's getting harder to get enough physical activity. And that means that if you would like to remain healthy, you also need to reduce the amount of calories that you are taking. Otherwise, uh, you may, you know, get some more kilos on, and that's not exactly healthy. Uh, yeah, thanks for the great example. Uh, uh, I think I, I gotta also uh, take those tests. I maybe uh, will make a video about this, how I measured my biomarkers and what I found. Uh, do, do you have to take those tests often or it's just uh, like once uh, every several months? Uh, well, <clears throat> I started uh, uh, by taking them four times per year. And that was because I was looking very carefully at my uh, lifestyle and diet and I tried to understand wh what's going on, what I can fix and so on and so forth. And it turns out that it's very hard to fix everything at once. So you really need to tweak something, some, well, say, uh, tweak one thing uh, and then tweak another one uh, some, uh, uh, some months later. This way you can really understand uh, if a certain change in your health was provoked by this thing or something else. So it takes time uh, to adjust uh, one's uh, lifestyle and diet and uh, the regime of supplementation. So I was taking them often, four times per year um, at first. And then uh, after I investigated uh, um, all those you know, peculiarities of my body, uh, I just decided that probably it makes sense to uh, start doing it, uh, say, two times per year. And right now I am on a regime uh, when I'm uh, making the checkups uh, around two times per year. Sometimes more often, sometimes I'm uh, doing some intermediary checkups uh, focused on a specific health problem that I have. Uh, but in general, this big checkup provided uh, to us by Open Longevity Projects, uh, to us, like you, <laughs> uh, people living in, in Moscow, uh, I'm doing them twice per year. Mm -hmm. I'll give a link to, in the description of the video to the Open Longevity checkups, oh. and I'll, I'll definitely, I'll definitely also check them out. Uh, by the way, do you consider yourself a qualified selfer? A person who measures himself or herself and uh, keeps track of all these parameters, not only biomarkers, but also steps, physical activity, sleep. Mm, I probably wouldn't say so, but uh, this is part of my normal routines, I would say, just because it makes sense. You know, the best uh, the best part of my experience with measuring biomarkers and adjusting my uh, health and diet and so on and so forth, you know, you really get this feeling that this is controllable. This is something that you can influence in a, uh, in a very clear way. And it gives you it gives you sort of more confidence in your future. For me, at least, it was so because when I uh, when I uh, took a look at my parameters at first and I identified that here's a problem, uh, there's a problem, and so on, and I can actually do something about it. It was very reassuring, you know, because this way you can actually not just prevent diseases, 
you can also slow down the processes of aging because, for instance, if you are not uh, having uh, uh, too much of inflammation happening in your body, it also means that you are wearing out slower and that means that you are going to preserve your health and youth for longer. For me, it means something. Uh, so that was the best part of my experience. I'm not sure what name uh, should I put on it? Should I call myself uh, a biohacker or not? Uh, for me, it's just a, a, a part of my everyday life. You can say that it's... Just uh, a sane person. <laughs> yeah, not necessarily yeah. biohacker, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you can you can you can name it this way. You can say uh, you you are someone who is measuring everything. Uh, you can say that it's just typical for transhumanists to do that, and I am a, a transhumanist. I'm trying to live as one. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I don't know how how to name it properly, but anyways, I find this useful for my personal life. Well, I think that has been really useful and uh, helpful. I think uh, many of our viewers and listeners might have started thinking about doing all those tests them doing all those tests themselves. Uh, but let's talk about uh, longevity and uh, advocacy in this area that you uh, are a big part of. You are. Uh, a person responsible for talking to people and organizations uh, and popularizing this. Uh, and I also have encountered uh, the need to do this quite often. When I explain what I blog about, when I say the words uh, transhumanism and longevity and people don't understand uh, why it's important, uh, some people might think that it's like some science fiction and uh, some bunch of nerds who dream of becoming immortal because they have uh, uh, read too much sci-fi or played too many video games, which is not true. I want you to share your experience of how to change people's minds oh. in this area. Yeah, I, I, you, you definitely have a lot of insights in this. Well, area. yeah. Um, uh, Lifespan.io is basically a news outlet. And that means that we need to know how to speak with people in order to make them supporters of life extension, right? And that means that uh, when we first started, we have done a lot of research into um, public perception of the very idea of uh, life extension and transhumanism and immortality. It turns out that there are many sociological studies that you can check, uh, uh, they are publicly available, uh, that are investigating uh, this topic. And uh, uh, when we first started uh, as a, a news outlet, we decided that we're going to make those principles the, the foundation of our approach. Here's what I can tell you. First of all, I, I already mentioned that uh, there are not many people who even know that something is going on in uh, the field of rejuvenation biotechnologies, right? So you're dealing with the audience that is not informed on the topic. And that also includes not being informed uh, on uh, what exactly aging is. That's the first uh, sort of uh, uh, milestone that you need to pass uh, to make sure that uh, you, when you're using the word aging, the person who you are speaking with knows exactly what you mean. 
It turns out that when I was having conversations with various people, uh, sometimes I was hearing very unusual um, you know, uh, ways to understand this. Uh, someone told me even that aging is an evil spirit that is soaking up our life energy. How well, poetic. <laughs> yes, this is indeed poetic. Uh, but uh, how uh, then you can have a conversation about supporting scientific research on aging if that person believes that aging is some sort of evil spirit, right? Uh, science has nothing to do with evil spirits and soaking up vital energy. Um, well, you should ex ex exorcise this spirit <laughs> and discuss this with this person. Well, uh, yeah, I prefer a friendly conversation. So uh, first thing first, uh, we need to uh, explain that aging is a set of biological processes in our body. Uh, we can tell that uh, there is about a dozen of those processes. Uh, they are properly defined. Uh, for instance, I have already mentioned the accumulation of old cells in our body, the uh, senescent cells, right? There are other processes. There is... Uh, damage uh, to our DNA, which basically is a plan of construction for every cell in our body. Uh, there is uh, a modification to how active our genes are. Uh, there are other things. So this is a set of biological, purely biological processes that can be properly explained. And then you go uh, to explaining that there is a connection between how fast these processes go in your body and the development of age-related diseases. This connection is all, always um, is um, often absent in uh, people's minds. And you have to build this connection between uh, before you can actually explain to them what you mean by modifying uh, the processes of aging. So aging uh, is a set of biological processes that uh, lead to accumulating the damage in our body. And this damage, when, when it's accumulated, leads to the development of some uh, age-related disease. And eventually, uh, the more damage is accumulated, the more progressed is a, a specific age-related diseases. And when the amount of damage is critical, the person will sadly die, right? So this is uh, something that you explain first of all to the person and then you say, okay, uh, you see right now we are dealing with the age-related diseases sort of uh, downstream, right? At the end, when uh, there is already a lot of symptoms, uh, uh, when person is already suffering, when they have to take drugs and therapies uh, to mitigate these symptoms and so on. And then you say, okay, but what if we move the focus of our attention to an earlier stage? What if we look at those uh, root causes of aging, root mechanisms of aging as new uh, uh, therapeutic targets? And this is exactly what happens right now in science. Uh, so we, we are not uh, speaking about some fantasy or sci-fi. We're speaking about uh, medical science progressing and starting to look at the earlier and earlier and earlier stages of the process of aging and trying to understand how by intervening very early we can modify the rest. We can modify the whole course of uh, developing age-related diseases. Can we slow it down? Yes, we can. Uh, can we reverse it to some extent? Yes, we can, if the therapy is powerful enough. And only then, after you kind of laid, the, paved the way for understanding, you can then go and say, okay, 
How about supporting the researchers of aging? How about investing money into the biotechnology company that is working specifically on this type of therapy that is addressing the root mechanisms of aging and not the uh, late uh, symptoms of uh, or symptoms of an age-related disease? And then people start to understand what you mean by that, right? So uh, it's important to begin with the basics and then move to more and more complicated concepts. I really hate it when people start the conversation with the idea of immortality and ask the question, would you like to be immortal? Nobody knows what you mean by that. Are you going to be immortal as an old person? Uh, this is actually one of the fears that people have when you speak with them about um, uh, these uh, therapies to modify the process of aging. They really fear that, yes, they are going to live longer, but they are going to live longer in ill health. And this is exactly uh, the problem that is uh, uh, that we are facing quite often when we are trying to promote those technologies. And this problem is basically... Um, uh, it, it's it's caused by the the absence of those uh, basic you know understandings regarding how how aging works, how age-related diseases develop, and can we intervene or or we can't. Let's put it this way: once you explained the foundation, and once you explained the potential benefits in form of controlling and reversing age-related diseases, and probably even getting rid of them, uh, you can then say, okay, do you want to know? Uh, what's going on right now in science? Do you like uh, to, to, to see the uh, results of experiments, say, in animals? Because, of course, we have a lot of animal data right now. It's very illustrative, and I highly recommend to use it whenever it's, uh, it's possible. And uh, speaking about our newsmaking activities, we are always trying uh, to uh, show not just uh, what's going on in uh, human clinical trials, but, of course, we are speaking a lot about animal studies as well, because uh, this is also a way how you can get people engaged uh, and uh, uh, excited with the idea of reversing aging because uh, basically in animals uh, say the the best uh, uh, results will be say to um, extend life in worms tenfold and that's yeah, ten times <laughs> that's that's staggering of course when, when, whenever whenever i rem, uh, i'm reminded about those uh, those experiments i am so excited just imagine if a human could live 10 times longer ah. How, how smart we could, uh, we could become if we would have uh, this much time. Okay, but that's uh, sci-fi for now. Uh, still, it's very interesting to know that in worms, it's, it's possible to extend life tenfold. In mice, however, because mice are more complicated organisms, in mice, it's something like mm, by 30-40% um, life extension. It's very hard to extend life in mammals because uh, of our much more complex biology and many things that you need to affect by the treatment in order to get this result. Still, it's also very reassuring because it's mammals, it's closer to us in terms of biological organization. But of course, it doesn't mean that things that worked in mice and gave them this um, amount of uh, life extension will work the same way in humans. With humans, it's going to be more tricky. 
uh, still this is a good way how you can illustrate the goal uh, that the researchers have because in those animals it's not just lifespan that is ex- uh, expanded it's also healthy lifespan that yeah. is extended and that means that those animals do not develop age-related diseases um, uh, in the usual way those age-related diseases are postponed to a later stage of life and that means that the animal lives its life uh, in a healthy state. It's active, it's productive, it's reproducing, it's uh, enjoying life as much as it's possible uh, in the laboratory environment. Uh, and so you can kind of, um, based on that, you can uh, kind of imagine what is going to happen to us if we manage to develop those treatments that will be as effective uh, as they are right now in mice. That's the goal that the scientists have. It's not just life extension. It's extension of the period of health when you really can have a fruitful, completely full and enjoyable life when you're independent, when you have, uh, you can can invest this time into your projects, into communicating with your family members and so on. So um, once you explained all that, you will you will need to uh, deal with the concerns because people always have concerns, especially those who are new to the field, who haven't investigated much, who are probably not following everything that concerns science and social development and so on. Um, (laughs) uh, If to speak about the studies, the sociological studies where public concerns have been um, investigated, I would actually... uh, um, recommend to have a look at the studies of Brad Partridge and his team. I actually probably have it somewhere near. Yes, I do. So uh, this, uh, this, this uh, article that I have here, Ethical, Social and Personal Implications of Extended Human Lifespan, uh, identified by members of the public. It speaks about all sorts of concerns that people can have when they are first presented with the idea of uh, extending healthy lifespan uh, uh, by medical technology. So here we are. The biggest social negatives that is typically um, uh, named by the public is overpopulation, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Then uh, a lot of people also uh, are scared that life extension is unnatural. I'm not sure what exactly they mean by that, but probably they mean that Despite the goal is to extend healthy human lifespan, something can go wrong because it's against nature. And then the result is not going to be healthy human lifespan, but something else. Maybe some, I don't know, side effect, adverse effects that are going to make this therapy not really comfortable. Then... um, People are also afraid that it's going to prolong state of poor health. It's uh, like listed as a, a, a separate concern. They are afraid that it's going to have some negative impact on society. And I would actually jump uh, right there to the matters of inequality because this is something that concerns people a lot, that those therapies are going to only be uh, available to rich people, to the wealthy, to the most privileged, uh, and uh, they are not going to be properly distributed. And so that means there will be not just inequality in terms of money, but also inequality in terms of lifespan. It's a viable concern. I mean, it has roots, of course. 
And uh, one of the uh, reasons why we at Lifespan are trying uh, to make people informed about what's going on uh, right now uh, in the rejuvenation research is to give everyone, everyone on Earth, an opportunity to decide for themselves and uh, to pick their own future. Because if the person doesn't know that this possibility even exists, then how this particular person can even, you know, participate in uh, public advocacy of those therapies uh, in, uh, uh, you know, controlling the prices for those therapies, how they can develop a proper legislation uh, to make sure that those therapies are uh, equally distributed and so on. So uh, by um, informing the public, we're trying also to make sure that this problem of inequality is taken care of. So... uh, uh, again, you are going to face those uh, those uh, public concerns anytime. Uh, it's very very typical for people, and it's it's good when people have critical thinking and they are trying to see how exactly it works together with other you know factors of our social life. Uh, and you have to speak about it. Don't be scared about it. Don't. Um, I will say, uh, don't discard those concerns. Uh, people have the right to be critical, to be skeptical, to check everything that you say. It's normal and it's okay. It's a process of learning. Uh, Not discussing the concerns uh, leads nowhere, but if they are properly discussed, it's, uh, of course, a way how we can work together on actually solving uh, the concerns that have the roots. But if to turn back uh, to the the problem of overpopulation that comes (laughs) way too often (laughs) in our conversations... That's uh, once again a, a, a factor, uh, a, something that is very much affected by public awareness, but uh, on the demography side, right? <laughs> People don't know that actually right now in many developed countries there is depopulation, uh, which means yeah. that uh, the, the, the birth rates are falling and, and uh, the uh, reproduction is below the level of replacement. That means that the population of a country is going down and in some I don't know, 20, 30, 50 years from now, we are going to see this affect many countries, Russia included. And uh, in a way, you can can see rejuvenation therapies as one of the ways how you can preserve the population at the present level. For many countries, this is so. Uh, The only regions that are currently remaining the forge (laughs) of uh, population, uh, it's mostly Africa and Asia, mostly. In other countries, developed countries, uh, where uh, women are part of the labor force, where they are getting education, where they have access to contraception and so on and so forth, this is not a problem anymore. And if we think about rejuvenation treatments, because the horizon of developing a complete, you know, uh, complex therapy that will be controlling our biological age, it's a long horizon. It's, it may happen in some 20 years from now, 30 years from now. And I'm sure that uh, whenever it happens, we will have enough time to actually figure out how to deal with the population, even if there is uh, a, a, an excess uh, in people on Earth. And we should not discard things like um, conquering space, uh, going uh, in, um, uh, trying to establish human populations on other planets, because it also makes part of the solution in this particular case. And by the yeah. way, mm-hmm. <laughs> rejuvenation would make uh, space travel much more safe for people, and it, it, it uh, actually can give you an opportunity 
uh, to live long enough uh, to actually visit a very, very distant planets. That's one of the benefits of rejuvenation research. Yeah, I, I wanted to add that uh, even if uh, there are therapies that uh, allow people to live significantly longer, which means that if new, new people are born, still there will be population growth even in uh, developed countries. Uh, even in that case, uh, there have been many researches uh, proving that the Earth can sustain many times more people if we use the resources more effectively. And uh, another possible argument uh, that uh, you can use is saying that if people are against uh, uh, rejuvenation therapies because of overpopulation, why don't they like kill themselves? <laughs> if they say that uh, living is like uh, uh, is bad, you, 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 you should give way to newer generations lead with this example to justification of just killing people which it basically is if you if you have a, a way to save people but don't save them that's killing in my opinion yeah, uh, and yeah, also I agree with you hmm? yeah and, and also for those uh, of our viewers and listeners who are interested in digging deeper into uh, these counter arguments uh, and concerns raised by people who object to longevity or question all those technologies, I strongly recommend my podcast with Aubrey de Grey. Uh, he has refuted uh, many of those uh, counter-arguments uh, while drinking some Russian vodka with me. Uh, check it out. Uh, the link will be in the description of this video and of this podcast uh, below. Uh, so overpopulation uh, is one of the common examples of arguments, then uh, something about being unnatural, uh, then something about inequality that only the super rich or the dictators will live forever and ordinary people will not. All those arguments we discussed with Aubrey, che check out our discussion. Uh, so, Elena, uh, thank you for a very detailed account of how to, how to speak with people. I think it's uh, it's really comprehensive. If you if you really are thoughtful and if you are a good communicator, use empathy. I think you can uh, change the mind of even a person who is strongly against this topic by step by step going through all those stages that you have mentioned. Uh, or at, at least you can raise the approval of all those uh, rejuvenation therapies and research uh, multiple times, I think. You agree? Well, this is my hope and uh, I am always on the optimistic side because I think that the more uh, information you can give people, uh, the more they are going to support this because just this is just makes sense. Who would like to develop Alzheimer? I don't. <laughs> Who would like to develop cancer? I don't. Who would like to develop arthritis or glaucoma or any other age-related disease? We're speaking about uh, improving human health, first of all. And uh, uh, medicine uh, typically is considered uh, a positive thing by the public. This is why I like so much this connection between uh, what we do in the laboratories when we're trying to develop those uh, rejuvenation treatments and the end product 
which means the modification of the process of aging and uh, making age-related diseases a thing of the past. Uh, I wanted to, to actually share a couple more details because I know yeah. that uh, typically they interest people. First of all, I wanted to underline that uh, uh, there is no strong uh, connection between the religious views and the support for healthy life extension. There is none. I mean, some studies show that religious people are less inclined or more inclined to perceive something this and or that way. But in reality, uh, you just need to find a way to speak with them on the same language. Uh, what I have found when I had to uh, deal with uh, the, the audience that has religious views, I was just trying to understand who these people are. I trying to understand what is their, uh, you know, their their own set of values and how they frame it. Uh, for instance, in many religions, medicines, uh, medicine is considered a, a godly activity. So if you approach it from this perspective, nobody can tell you that this is something bad and you're doing a bad thing and you're cursed. Uh, actually, people become very supportive and uh, they get you right away when you speak with them on their language. So my call will be uh, not to engage in any sort of fights because these things do not contradict one another. In many things, it's even easier for, for a person who has, um, you know, who, ha who has thought a lot about the notion of human immortality and afterlife and so on and so forth. They already have a lot of, you know, pieces of the puzzle in their head. You just need to create these specific type of connections that will put them together and make it clear for them that healthy life extension is a good thing. And another thing that I once wanted to mention is that uh, there is uh, uh, apparently a difference in how men and women perceive this topic. And it turns out that uh, in some studies, and actually in many studies, we see that uh, women are more sort of conservative regarding healthy life extension. But um, it turns out that if you look deeper at this data and you're trying to understand how exactly these uh, differences created, you may think that it's mostly about the readership preferences uh, for instance, um, men prefer to read more about the technologies, the, the high technologies, mm. some IT stuff, some radical interventions, and so on and so forth, while women prefer to read about some soft interventions, healthy lifestyle, good diet, and so on and so forth. So those interventions do not allow you to uh, get a, a big impact when it comes to your lifespan. I mean, it is for now. Uh, the best way how you can extend your life right now is a healthy diet <laughs> and so on and so <laughs> forth. But uh, when we speak about the potential of uh, life extension treatments or longevity treatments, uh, of course, at some point they are going to become more powerful and they will be able to give you more. And then we can speak about this uh, radical extension of human lifespan. But if men read more information about it, compared to women, you would expect women to be more conservative, you know, in, in their assessment of what's yeah. possible, what's not possible. So yeah. actually, at, at the recent conference uh, on biohacking that took place in Moscow in September, I was saying uh, that uh, we probably should put more attention on educating women in this regard. And this is not just, you know, just to make sure that they know. 
But this is because women are primary decision maker when it comes to health in their family. And they are often a primary decision maker uh, when it comes to medical procedures for their uh, um, family members. And that means that uh, these are exactly the people who you will, you will want to know everything when it comes uh, to extending healthy human lifespan, because these are going to be people who will expand it to their family members and make sure that um, uh, children are informed about those but, uh, the potential of those therapies, uh, parents are informed about those poten uh, uh, the potential of those therapies, and so on. Uh, and actually, uh, as far as I'm speaking about it, uh, women are also primary caregiver to the parents in many cultures and many countries. Not all of them. <laughs> there are, you know, exceptions. But in general, uh, it falls upon women to, to care for old parents or even to become nurses. And among the uh, medical uh, staff, women represent a majority when it comes to taking care of uh, the old and people with uh, various age-related diseases. So again, uh, for us as uh, communicators, it's very important to not just uh, not just speak with the public in general, but also to focus on uh, on those who need this knowledge the most. And I, I really think that uh, women need to know about uh, more about it and more about what's happening uh, and uh, what to expect in the nearest uh, uh, 20, 30 or 5, 10 years, because women can actually benefit the most from it because of all this care on our shoulders uh, uh, that may one day disappear just because uh, the rejuvenation treatments will uh, will keep people healthy and make our old parents completely independent. Well, I think it, it's been a great take on uh, treating uh, a female audience uh, with special care. Uh, I think it's very important uh, if we speak about transhumanism and longevity and biohacking, all those areas... Uh, have a strong underrepresentation of women in them. Although uh, the trend is changing gradually, but uh, still in many of those industries uh, and uh, uh, social movements, uh, there is a strong lack of women, which is uh, unthinkable for the 21st century, I think, and it definitely should change. And also, I had a comment regarding religious people and uh, regarding the fact that being religious does not mean being opposed to longevity. I immediately uh, thought about the, the biblical uh, patriarch Methuselah, who lived until 900 years, according to uh, the Bible and uh, all Christians and uh, people who believe in, for example, Judaism also uh, would be probably willing to listen to this uh, example of uh, um, a religious person, a person from religious texts who was, uh, uh, well, I would say a transhumanist even, maybe, because of such a, such a huge... Uh, lifespan, although uh, I don't know whether it's true or just legend, uh, but maybe maybe we will uh, live long enough to find out. Uh, well, Yelena, thank you so much for your insights. Uh, I'm sure that uh, it's been very helpful and very interesting for many of our viewers and listeners, definitely for me. This has been Greg Mustreader's podcast, 
subscribe to me on YouTube, on Spotify, iTunes, other podcasting platforms. Hit the like button, uh, write a review on iTunes or uh, give me five stars if you like this podcast. And uh, see you next week. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thank you.